All right, let us pray before we get into the word of God, bow our heads and our hearts. Uh, Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord, humbly to just to give you praise, to thank you, Lord, for you're the almighty, the holy and righteous God. And Lord, we ask that right now at such a time as this, Lord, that you would give us your word from heaven that comes down and accomplishes everything that you have set it out to do and does not return into you void. And we know, O Lord, that your words, that they are truth, they are life, and they are spirit. And that's what we all need to hear today, Lord. So prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, and set it out for what you have accomplished it to do. We love and we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And the saints said, amen. Amen. All right. So book of Proverbs chapter 3. I touted it part two because I started it a month and a half ago. Unfortunately, it was on a Thursday. And I'm not going to have time to recap every bit of the two points that I got across, so I'll do my best, uh, and you could just go back to the the recording, you know, when you have time. But if you guys open up your Bibles to Proverbs 3, as I said before. So really quick, it's important for context that we understand the context of Proverbs. You guys remember, and hopefully you know, Proverbs was written by King Solomon, yes, who was the son of? King David. Good. We got some scholars in the room. Praise God. And so King Solomon, if you look at 1 Kings, says that he was responsible for over 3,000 Proverbs. Now, Proverbs is just a compound word for sayings, right? Earthly, just wise sayings that you can live by, like one sandwich short of a picnic basket. That's a proverb, right? Those are, <laughs> those are principles that we use, right? Cross your T's, dot your I's for the teachers, right? Those are proverbs and things that we live by. But Solomon ultimately had wisdom directly from God. And as I like to say, Jesus is the whiz and wisdom. And if you try to operate without Jesus, you take the whiz out of wisdom and all you have left is dumb, right? And we don't want to be dumb, okay? We want to operate in the wisdom of the Lord. And so that word wisdom, many places in scripture, it's used different ways. But here in Proverbs, it actually means skill, the skill. So if those of you who have uh, Warren Wiersbe, who's a Bible teacher, commentary, his commentary on this is called be skillful. And so wisdom is really knowing and understanding God's mind and applying it to all of our earthly living, all our choices, all our relationships, all our decisions, the mind of Christ and all that. That's why I got the WWJD right here. Most of y'all got that too, right? There you go. That's wisdom. What would Jesus do? I want to do this, but what would Jesus do? The skill to make the right decision at the right time for the right reason and with the right attitude. That is godly wisdom. When I think about Solomon and his wisdom, automatically comes to mind is from the, the baby stealing chronicles. You guys remember that? Some of you guys do, some of you don't. So first Kings, he had his first test where these two ladies had babies and one of them died overnight and the other one snatched it and stole it. And they brought it to the King. Hey, judge that. She stole my baby. No, that's my baby. No, sure. That's my baby. What do I do? The wisdom that he got. Okay, let's cut the baby in half. And then, you know, you guys have half one. And the one mother whose child it was says, no, let her take the baby. Solomon said, you're the mom, right? That's wisdom. I don't know what I would have done. I'm sorry. I wouldn't have cut the baby in half, right? But that was God's, it was God's wisdom, right? Sometimes it doesn't always make sense to us, but that is the wisdom that comes from God. And so Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, we need to understand too, also what we call literary device called parallelism. See, in Proverbs and, and Psalms and Job and some other of the wisdom books, there's a literary device called parallelism where they call it thought rhyme. You know, in our poetry, we rhyme words. Well, in this poetry, they rhyme thoughts. For example, as a, tor- a door turns on the hinges, so a lazy man turned in his bed. Those thoughts rhyme with each other. One thought correlates with the next thought. And so when we read through Proverbs, you will see this literary device of parallelism in different forms. So just to help you understand when we see that. Saints, when we become wise, we apply God's principles to our everyday decision-making. We gain the skills to be successful successful in all of our earthly living. So first question, who in here needs wisdom? I need all your guys' hands and feet too with me. I need it desperately. So I tell the, the, the youth that a proverb a day keeps the foolishness away. It's truth. You need it. I encourage you guys to meditate on the Proverbs, all right? 
meditate. Some key things in Proverbs. One, obviously, is wisdom and foolishness. And another one that's themed not just in Proverbs, but throughout the word of God called the fear of the Lord. You guys heard that? The fear of the Lord, right? Very important, important uh, element of the Bible. And if you're a believer of your life. Now, the fear of the Lord, real easy to get it. You got to be born again. Amen. When the Bible talks about those who are walking in rebellion, it says that there is no fear of God before their eyes. They don't know him. They don't have a relationship with him. Reminds me of Pharaoh. I don't know this God you speak of. Why would I heed his words? So fear of the Lord comes by having a loving relationship with the Lord. That's where it comes from. And thus, when you're born again, you grow in your fear of the Lord and you constantly depart from evil, which we'll see in our text. So I outline. First point, I'm going to review it. I can't go over it. We just don't have the time. But we'll see in verses one through four that we are to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So I title the message, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, principles for godly living. And that first principle we see is to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. How many, in you, how many of you in here have trust issues? Be honest. Not all of us trust everybody. We know that, right? And we shouldn't because trust is earned, right? Solomon, in all of his wisdom, when he tells his son to trust the Lord, he must, he himself, know that the Lord is worthy of being trusted. Now, take a personal inventory of things and people you guys trust in your lives. Many of them are not worthy of it. We trust our car every time we turn it on, right? Be honest. It usually starts up for the most part, right? But we trust the car, which can fall at any point in time, right? We trust people and relationships, bosses and jobs and many things that can crumble at any moment, right? But then when it comes to the Lord, wait, 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 hold on, Lord, wait a minute. Why do we do that? What? Trust the car, the bosses, the people who fail and are capable of falling, but the God who is alive and his word is the same today, yesterday, and forever and shall never perish. We question what his word says. Solomon says we need to trust in him with all of our heart. And so in those first four verses, I'll just glance over them. He says, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands for length of days and long life and peace will they add unto you. The first thing that Solomon starts off with his son is to keep my law and do not forget. Very clearly here, this is not Solomon's made up law. This is actually covenantal language. This is the Mosaic law. For those of you who don't know, in Israel, the kings had to memorize the Torah, the first five books. Not a verse, not a chapter, books, entire books. And some of us get mad of our weekly through the Bible verse. I can't remember all that. Five books, right? Memorize all that. So Solomon is instructing his son, remember my law, keep my word in your heart because it's important. Repetitively, that phrase, take heed, keep and listen, is mentioned 24 times in Proverbs, 13 times in the first 13 chapters alone. Why? Because it's important. Parents, grandparents, soon-to-be parents, repetition is the father of learning. Over and over and over, do not cease to instruct your children in the way of the Lord. As I tell my football players, practice makes permanence. The more you do something, the more it sticks. Over and over, God reminds us of things in scripture, such as do not fear. Over and over. Why? Because we need it. We're hard-headed. And so Solomon is instructing his son, don't forget my law. Let your heart keep my commands. So that's the what, and here's the why. Verse two, for length of days and long life and peace will they add to you. The component, length of days and peace, you need them both. Length of days without peace, miserable. Miserable. But a very simple application for us is, guess what? If I drive on the road and I go the speed limit and I wear my seatbelt and I give three car links between the car in front of me, like the handbook says, I'm less likely to run into a collision. What do you know? 
just by following simple instructions. Amen? We have a lot of what I call self-inflicted trials. I just didn't obey God and I got mad at God because something happened that he warned me ahead of time would happen, right? Saints, we just need to obey God. It's better. But peace, I like to explain as an inner calmness and confidence in an outer chaotic uncertainty. An inner calmness and confidence in the midst of an outer chaotic uncertainty. And we only have that from the Prince of Peace, right? Jesus is the only one who can give that to us. And then Solomon goes on to say, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God. We talk about mercy and truth. They're twin truths. We need them both, right? I love how in John 1, it says that the law was given to Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus, right? The law leads us to our need for Jesus to recognize that. And he says, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. When you honor God, you can't help to see how God's favor is upon your life. And when I think of an, a personal example for me and my family, just a little bit over a year ago, we, were, we lived in our condo for about eight years, and we really weren't even looking for another home to live in. My wife was pregnant with our fifth kid, praise God. If you guys remember last week, Pastor Doug gave me a hard time. and says, the campers give us a baby every 10 months, right? <laughs> you know, not every 10 months, but if that's the case, we're due. So, you know, um, but uh, we, uh, we weren't looking for another home. We were content where we were. It was a three bedroom. We were getting a little tight, but we were grateful, right? Godliness with content- contentment is a great game. We were grateful. And suddenly one of a realtor friends like opened up her eyes to possibly pursuing something. And I'll be honest, I wasn't serious. I was like, yeah, you can show it to me. No big deal. I wasn't even thinking about it. And weeks later, she showed us this property that was much bigger, much room. And we'd seen one before. And I told my kids, they got all disappointed because it was a dump. And we, didn't, we was like, yeah, we're not doing that. And so they showed us another one. And I didn't even tell them. I said, you know what, Lord? I'm going to go by there. I'm just going to pray. And so I went over there, got my prayer book out. I just prayed, Lord, if this is what you have for us, then open the door. No man can close. If this is not what you have for us, I want no part of it close the door, no man can open. And so I sat in the front of the property and then I went to the back and there happened to be some tenants who were coming out and one of them was coming off of, you could tell they're coming off either alcohol or something. And I just saw a mother just trying to comfort her grown son as he was coming off of whatever it was. And as I drove by slowly, I heard him say, my life is just a complete mess. And I'm like, if you had Jesus, right? And that had me stop the car. So I stopped the car and got out. He started to talk to me. He was a little yelling. And, and he was talking about, oh, you must be a Christian. So I certainly, how did you know, right? <laughs> and so I started talking to him. And, uh, you know, he was like, hey, you know what? I don't want to talk to you. I said, okay, you don't have to talk to me. So I started talking to his mom. And like two sentences is, he came back. Well, I have a question. Sure, here I am, right? Send me. And he's like, you Christians, you, what about the Muslim? He started mentioning other religions. Well, long story short, he felt as if Christianity has forced things on people. And I simply told him, well, clearly... God's not forcing you because you're not honoring him now and you seem to be doing what you want to do, right? And so in the midst of that, he, he ran off upset, but his mom, I just said, hey, how can I help you? And I said, can I pray for you? And I prayed for her. Unbeknownst to me, the owner of the house was outside. I had no idea. I prayed over her. She actually ended up coming to church a few months after that. And then I went about my way and I told the realtor, hey, you know what? I saw the house. I prayed about it. I think let's at least give it a try, Right. And she went, and I, my main question was this, is that you guys know who have bought property, you know the big thing is, how do you bid out the, the cash bidders, right? How do you get through the line? How do you get an offer even accepted, right? And I told my realtor, hey, I saw it. I actually saw one of the tenants. I talked to one of the tenants. And she said when she had talked to the, um, the owner and they presented all the offers, and she said, yeah, this is one of my tenants. He said he came by, and before she finished a sentence, he said, was that the pastor who prayed over one of my tenants? She said, well, well, yeah, I think she was, I want them to have this house. Boom. Just like that. So are you going to tell me that's not the favor of God and man all in one? Sorry, it took so long to get to the climax, but you needed that background, right? But as far as what the word of God says is that when you honor the word of God, the word of God honors you. Now it was a nightmare of an escrow, but God made it happen, right? But the point of the matter is, is that God's favor 
between God and man, when you honor the Lord and obey him, his hand of favor and protection will be upon you. That is a godly principle. Amen? All right, verse five, second point. Woohoo! Second point. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. I love this. I like to call these verses the gospel according to Proverbs. The gospel according to Proverbs. And here's what it says, verse five. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. As a pastor, one of the main questions I get, how do I know God's will for my life? And that's a great question. You should want to know that. Solomon lays out the principle right here. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And when we look at that word trust, it means to depend, to rely on, to completely surrender. I know that people struggle with that one. And it actually has, uh, Bible teacher Warren Worsby says this, that it means to lie helpless face down. And it pictures a servant waiting for the master's command and readiness to obey. Or a defeated soldier yielding himself to a conquering general. To trust in God is to be unbuttoned of thyself and every creature and so to lean upon God that if he fails, you fail. That's what it means to trust in the Lord. Amen? And so for us, that is the gospel. Is that we're called to surrender and trust solely on what the one person did for us on the cross. Namely, Jesus, the invisible God made visible. That's the gospel. We solely depend on him and what he did on the cross for us to have a right relationship with God. 100%. And this very verse right here has personal meaning to me. As I shared last time I taught this is that when I was in college, when I first got there, I went to college out of state. That's how I met my beautiful bride. And within 12 months, I had two heat strokes, double pneumonia, a flooded apartment, and a burned down apartment in 12 months. I was 20 years old, right? And I distinctively remember after the heat stroke and I had uh, double pneumonia when I was in the hospital, um, I remember getting a call from one of my teammates. They, you know, they called my last name's Camper. So they say, hey, Camp, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm all right, I'm coughing because I have double pneumonia. He's like, hey, bro, like, your, your apartment's on fire. <laughs> I'm like, anything else? I mean, come on. So I'm like, okay. And then I'll be honest, my, my, my main thought was, is I had some, some dumbbells there. You know, the Bible says the glory of the young man's in his strength. And I was like, my dumbbells are going to burn. I need to go get those, right? <laughs> and so I checked myself out of the hospital prematurely and I'm coughing and I lost like 20 pounds already because I, I, had, I had been in the hospital for almost a week. And I come try to save whatever I could, right? But mainly my dumbbells. That was the most important thing. 20-year-old, I'm a mindset, right? And so I come into the apartment and this ribbon that I had, had Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 on it. And my mom gave it to me and I took it with me everywhere I went. And I even have it in my house today. Everything was burned up except, except there was a layer of white paint, meaning the fire did not burn it. A layer of white paint around the banner that said Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 and it did not even smell like smoke. I have it today, never washed it. It did not even smell like smoke. And when I walked in and I saw that, that was the first time it resonated with me of what it truly means to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, because I had no other options, none, but to depend on the Lord with all my heart. Because at that point, it's like, you might as well just go home, bro. Like, you're out here in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota. You're from Ventura County where the sun shines all the time and the ocean, the water. And you're out here in severe cold, negative 40 in the winter and severe heat, 115 in the summer. Just go back to Cali, right? But I came out there for a reason, right? And so at that point, I learned what it really meant to trust in the Lord, with not myself, and so lean not on your own understanding in verse five and six, and in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So some things I want you guys to glean from this is the Lord is the most reliable, trustworthy being in and outside this universe. He's earned it, amen? And he is not a man that he should lie, okay? His wisdom is so great that he cannot make a mistake. He is eternal, so he knows the beginning from the end and everything in between. He has high and holy purposes with no ulterior motives. His love is limitless, so he can never be unkind. Yet his perfect love is always balanced 
by absolute holiness. Saints, trust must be earned and God has earned our trust one million times over and has given us zero reasons not to trust him. And so as you look over in your lives and the life of others, God is faithful, cannot fail. And so Solomon lays out these godly principles of fully trusting in the Lord and not himself. Amen? So when Solomon says with all your heart, I know I'm kind of basically teaching it, but I'll do the best I can. When Solomon says with all your heart, it means to rely and depend on the Lord and it must be complete. An example I like, uh, my, you guys know I have one son, my only begotten, praise God. Four girls, one son, all right? My only begotten. But the example of my son is four years old and we're at the park and he likes to climb on things, right? And when I tell him jump, I will catch you. Before I finish my sentence, he's in the air. Why? Because he trusts me. My daddy will not drop me. My daddy will not let me go. My daddy is always going to protect me. And if he says jump, I'm not going to ask why. I'm just going to say how high, right? This is an example of what a childlike faith looks like in the Lord. It's not only what he says, but the character of the one who says it. He cannot fail. That is trusting the Lord with all your heart. Amen? Okay, so now to our, our main text. How much time I got? All right, we're going to beeline through this, but God is good. Amen. So in verses 7 where it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. That simply means the definition of trusting the Lord. You're not being wise in your own eyes because that means you think you're wiser than God. And that's a grave mistake because we are not. Amen. And when it says health to your flesh and strength to your bones, that, though, that phrase actually uh, means medicine to your soul. It's like a prescription. God's word is a prescription to our lives. Has anyone in here ever taken prescription medicine? Probably a lot of us, right? Okay, antibiotics, things like that. It's not wise to take it outside of its prescription. Amen? There's a particular dosage at a particular time for a particular reason, and most of the time it says take with food, right? So let's follow God's prescription. All right, third point, and where we are today, verse 9. You guys there in your Bibles? Yeah. All right, good stuff. He says this, verse 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So as he transitions from trusting in the Lord, fearing the Lord, departing from evil, he now goes into an aspect of what it looks like to actually trust the Lord. This word honor, if you look at the NLT, you don't have to go there. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. Then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. So he now addresses the issue of possessions and wealth. Uh, is it wrong for us to have wealth? No. Abraham rich, Job, Job had a whole bunch of things, right? So it's not a matter of having these things. It's a matter of these things having you, right? It's a matter of these things having your affections. And so you remember Solomon, as a part of him having that wisdom, God gave him more, the icing on the cake, much wealth, much gold, in so much that the queen of Sheba came to hear his wisdom and brought him gold, if you guys remember. So he's not condemning that. But he is warning, if you're not wise with it, what can happen? So he instructs his son to honor the Lord with all he possesses and with the first fruits of what he earns. This word honor in the Hebrew, it means to make heavy, to lay upon in reference to the Old Testament ceremonial worship. And so in the Old Testament, when they would bring something to the Lord, it was, it was a solemn sacrifice. It was holy and acceptable before the Lord. And it was always about the manner in which it was given, the heart, the heart. It doesn't matter how much you give or if you don't give it all, what he's concerned about most is the heart posture in which you give it. Like I tell my kids, obedience is obeying what I say with the right attitude right? Fine, I'll do it. I find, no, no, come back, right? Let's redo <laughs> with the right attitude because it shows your heart posture towards the Lord. This was referring to the Old Testament tithe. 
and the law of first fruits. See, saints, freely giving is worship because it shows that we trust the Lord. When he says trust in the Lord with all your heart, that doesn't just mean a portion of your heart. That means with your time, your treasure, and your talent. Everything that God gives. It first starts with recognizing that everything we have comes from the Lord. It all belongs to him. He's given us richly, freely for us to enjoy, but we're to honor him in doing that. It's been said if we don't faithfully give, it's a sign we don't truly trust. If we don't faithfully give, it's a sign that we may not truly trust him. For your note takers, Deuteronomy 26 and 2 says this, that you shall take some of the first fruit of all your produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. And the first fruits, what that represented was giving the Lord the best, not the leftovers of the land in recognition that the land actually belongs to the Lord, right? You see that correlation? When you recognize that everything comes from God, you have no problem giving back freely to him. When you struggle is when you think that your hands earn the wealth. That's when there's a problem. Well, no, if I give that, then this. If I give, then that. Guess what? I had a, um, a brother in Christ who was serving the Lord mightily and was being used by God years ago. And then he fell into trying to earn a lot of money. Got two or three jobs, stopped serving, stopped coming to church, stopped all that stuff. And then when I would talk to him and ask him, hey, bro, like, how's, it, like, how's the money thing going? I'm struggling to pay bills, three jobs. Struggling to pay bills, struggling to do this. I said, hey, man, have you, uh, like, have you been honoring the Lord with, with, I can't afford it. I said, bro, you can't afford not to. That's the problem is your, your whole perspective of where it came from, is you think you did that. But in all reality, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, right? And we're to honor God with that. So New Testament, we follow the example of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And what I love about 2 Corinthians 8, this is my, my, per, my example I like when it talks about giving. In 2 Corinthians 8, the apostle Paul praises the Macedonian church for their diligence in their giving. And then he goes back and he highlights your, your diligence in giving. It wasn't about how much they had because he actually said they were struggling. He said your diligence in giving was from the fact that you gave your heart to the Lord first and then to us. That's where it came from. And so New Testament giving is all about the cheerful giver. The one who recognizes, Lord, this is yours and I wanna honor you with a joyful heart. Not out of necessity, not begrudgingly, oh, I have to give 10% or 5%, I don't want to do it, right? <laughs> that's begrudgingly, don't do that. If that's your attitude, just keep it, keep it yourself, right? Lord, the Lord, he owns the count of a thousand hills. He doesn't need that money or that attitude, right? But the cheerful giver that the Lord loves of 2 Corinthians 9, that's the heart posture he's looking for. And saints, we don't give so that he'll give back to us. He's just given us a principle, and I love the saying that if we give so that it will pay, it won't pay, right? It won't pay. You can't dupe God. Hey, Lord, I got something for you now. I know I give you this. You better give me 20% back, right? You guys see those pastors that say, hey, you plant a seed. You give me some of this, then I got you. Yeah, we don't follow that program. Not in here. Not in there, right? What does the word say? Paul says, let God be true and every man be a liar, right? What does God's word say? But I love Solomon in here. He gives a what, and then he gives a why to the what. He says, honor the Lord with all your possessions, still in verse 9, and with the first fruits of your increase. Saints, God is not against us having wealth. But a question for you, what has your affections right now? Is it the Lord? Is it money? Your children? Job? Hobby? Lust, greed, how do you know? What your heart meditates upon the most will surely tell. When you get up in the morning, in and throughout your day, what gives you a high and a low? I love what the psalmist said in 
15 and 16, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. That is the heart that results from giving. Honestly, how many times do we see greed enslave people? More and more and more. Solomon knew all too well, Ecclesiastes, that all the rivers run into the ocean and the ocean is not full. That the eyes of man will never, ever be satisfied. It's never enough. See, saints, it's actually giving that cures our greed. Believe it or not. If you are able to give, then you can't be greedy because you can't do both because they're completely antithetical to one another. And so if you can't let it go, you need to let it go. Amen? All for the Lord. I look at uh, the prophet Haggai. When he says to the people, he says, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat but don't have enough. You drink but are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves but you're not warm. And he who earns wages earns them to put them in a bag with holes. Will a man rob God? As the prophet said, he said, but you have robbed me in tithes and offerings, right? Let's just honor the Lord. It's good for us to do that. And Solomon writes in verse 10, he says, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And that of course was an Old Testament precept and principle. New Testament again, is that God's hand of favor and protection will be upon your time, treasure, and talent. That's the principle there. Very important. I think back to uh, a church I came from, and I'm not going to say a name, not going to go into that, but I remember they would pass five, six, sometimes seven offerings. I want to listen to the word, but that's a fifth offering. I don't know if I can get down. I can't get jiggy with that, right? And it would be pastor's anniversary, pastor's wife anniversary, the building fund, all this, like... I don't, I, I'm searching. I'm just not finding it in here, right? I can't bend about anything but this. I can't have it. But there's a lot of churches that do that, saints. I just want to encourage you guys. If, it, if it's not found in here, we're not doing it. It's that simple. And, and this is no condemnation to anybody, but we're called to walk in truth. And I love how Paul says, let God be true and every man a liar. Right here. What does it say? We're called to give to the Lord cheerfully. That's why we have an agape box in the back. We don't want to put your conscience in an arm bar. Oh, no. If I don't put this in, I'm going to look like I don't honor the Lord. We don't need to see that. That's between you and the Lord. Right? As the Lord has prospered you, freely give. Freely receive, freely give. And because this church has been faithful, this church is on five radio stations, ministering to several church plants, helping out with the women's clinic, uh, our, our Bayamba, God Care School in Africa, and many, many other things because you guys faithfully give. Don't know who you are who does? Don't care, to be honest with you, right? That's between you and the Lord. But we know where God guides, God provides. And God's been faithful. And because of that, ministry that goes on today takes place because you guys have been faithful to the word of God. Amen? Amen. All right, flip through my Bible and then I got to find Proverbs again. All right, there we go. I think we're back on track. <laughs> Saints, God promises to provide all of our needs, not all of our greeds. Right? I remember uh, Pastor Chuck. You guys heard Pastor Chuck, right? I just found out he was born in Ventura, by the way. I'm from Ventura County. Amen. We've got that in common. But when Pastor Chuck really gave his life to the Lord, he was at a, a youth camp, and he heard the pastor say this, and you guys have probably heard this before. He says, when this life has come and passed, only what you've done for Christ will last are you storing your treasures in heaven, right? Every question you should ask yourself when making a decision and everything you do, is this gonna bring glory and honor to the Lord? Because when everything's said and done, we're all gonna stand before God one day. And the things that we've done for his kingdom are the things that will benefit. And everything that's not done for his kingdom is gonna burn, pointless, pointless. When I think about the apostle Paul, I call him a super apostle, but he's just a man of God, right? By the grace of God, I am what I am, he says. But his biggest fear, biggest fear, was that he had run or labored in vain. That he had run or labored in vain. 
Saints, we have to ask ourselves, are we running or laboring in vain? Are we storing our treasures here on earth where moth and rust and thieves break in and steal? Or are we storing our treasures in heaven? That's a question that we have to ask ourselves. Amen? So on your outline, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everything we have belongs to the Lord. By God's grace, saints, we have what we have and we are what we are. All right, get your tent up. We're probably going to camp out here for a while. Point number four, embrace God's discipline. Ooh, Oh, boy. Verse 11 and 12 in your Bibles. My son, again, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son, and whom he delights. The NLT says this, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and do not be upset when he corrects you for the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. Solomon now transitions from the aspect of showing God's trust through our giving to now showing you trust God through the chastening and the discipline. And he tells his son, it's not just to receive God's discipline, but the attitude in which you receive it in. I know when I was younger, I'll date myself, we got whoopings. I don't know what today's generation is about, but we got whoopings. And I remember when we got the whooping, I was upset. My grandma, I was upset. Dang, whooped us. I was angry. I didn't, I didn't understand it as a good purpose. I was just upset because you whooped me. I didn't like it. It didn't feel good, right? That's part of the point of discipline. It's not supposed to feel good, right? It's not. But it's all about the character of the one who's ministering the discipline. Because you have to be able to trust that they know what they're doing, right? <laughs> the writer of Hebrews, through this inspiration, the Holy Spirit uses this exact verse in the 12th chapter. And he tells us that Hebrews 12, 11, for you note takers. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to all who have been trained by it. She's saying sometimes God will take us backwards in order to bring us forward, no matter how, how painful it is. Example, Israelites. Your first option was 11 days. You rebelled. Your next option was 40 years. Choose which one, right? Red pill or blue pill, right? But 11-day journey into the promised land turned into a 40-year death march. God's discipline, right? See, I like to tell people obedience is training to, to manage and have what God has for us. Had they learned obedience in the wilderness, they would have been in the promised land in 11 days. But because of rebellion, God's discipline ensued. And some of them embraced it, and a lot of them did not. When I look at Jeremiah, if you guys, a scripture we're all hopefully all familiar with, 2911, for I know the plans I have for you. A lot of us use that. We put it on our refrigerator, on our cars and all those. But it was actually to the Judean captives, they were being disciplined. They were cast out of the presence of God for 70 years. And God used an ungodly king, Nebuchadnezzar, to chasten them. But then he writes in Jeremiah 29 through the prophet to remind them this was not my plan to keep you here forever. And if you go two verses later, 29, 13, he says, and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That was God's discipline, okay? It hurt for 70 years, and ironically, it cured Israel of their idolatry when they came back to the land. I say that was fruitful, amen? I say that was fruitful. All through the Old Testament, what was the problem? Idolatry on top of idolatry on top of idolatry. But because God is loving, he disciplined them to train them in the way of righteousness. And when they came back from the land, we didn't see any more of that idolatry. Amen? See, so Saints, chastening and discipline, it's exposing wrongdoing and training in the right way. Me as a former athlete, I remember training for football. That was painful. Get up early in the morning, running up the sand hills, working out three times a day. I mean, it was great results, but it was painful. And if I didn't work out in a while, like right now, I'm not going to go hard in the gym. I, I love Brett. He says, hey, come work out with me. No, 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 no. No. Because I know if I do that, 
my mind won't go like soft. I'll go hard and then I won't be able to move for a week. It hurts. It's painful, right? But that's what discipline is. It hurts. It's painful, but it yields great fruit and results when everything's said and done, when you allow it to train you. Saints, this is why we teach the fullness of God's word. The scripture said in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all the scriptures are profitable for doctrine, what is right, reproof, what is not right, correction, how to stay right, right, how to get right, and then instructions and righteousness, how to stay right. That's the whole counsel of God. That's the discipline that helps us all. And so Solomon is talking about embracing this discipline. I've heard it said that Discipline can sometimes be defined as forced obedience. Forced obedience. Well, why? Because we don't always feel like obeying. Anybody in here? I'm the only one, right? I don't always feel like obeying. I don't always feel like loving my wife, believe it or not. I don't always feel like leading my home. I don't always feel like it. But here's what obedience does. When your feelings say no, obedience say yes, you must, because it's good for you. That's what it does, right? It's training in the right way. See, Solomon knew all too well about the chastening rod of the Lord simply by watching his father, David. As you guys know, David was a great king, but a horrible father. Did not discipline his children, even to the point where the Bible says that the sword never left his house because he failed to discipline his children. I know the youth don't like me right now. All right, amen, obey your parents, okay? Saints, if we're to love our children, we will be diligent to discipline them as God does us. Our heavenly father is the best example on how to be a godly parent. The word despise, it means to not reject, not refuse or run from. Detest means to be sickened by or distressed, to count it bothersome or un necessary. See, nowadays, children like to say, if you love me, you'll let me do whatever I want, right? So-and-so's parents let me do that. How come you don't let me do that? Well, one, I'm not so-and-so's parents. And two, as for me and my house, we're going to honor the Lord. And so we're not doing that. That's not happening in this house. But there's this new wave of parenting called buddy-buddy, buddy parenting. No, not your buddy. I'm your father, right? Yeah, I'm your father. So one, don't talk to me like I'm your buddy, right? And two, I'm your father and I'm here to guide you, lead you and correct you. And just to give you an extra measure of standard, no one who is loved does whatever they want. Nobody. People who are loved are cared for, protected and guided. They're not let loose to do whatever they want. If you love your children, you don't let them do backflips off the Empire State Building. Amen, right? That's not something that is love. Well, give me scripture. Thanks for asking. No takers. Proverbs 13, 24, NLT. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Do it in love. Do it in grace. Don't do it in anger. All right. Proverbs 19, 18. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Saints, unchecked sin gains momentum and sin thrives in the dark, right? In our own lives, and in the lives of our children, and in the lives of others. Solomon's giving his son great wisdom to embrace this because discipline is good for us. How many of us like when we're disciplined and corrected? That'd be no one. Oh, don't lie in the church house, brother, right? <laughs> we don't like it. <laughs> we don't like it. But the Bible says if you refuse correction, you are stupid. Not my words. Bible said that, right? You are stupid if you refuse correction. Now, I remember an example, and I get parents all the time, all the time, to come and ask, hey, like, my, my kid is doing this. What should I do? How should I do this? And we get that all the time. I just, we go to scripture, but I remember a, a very peculiar example. About a couple years ago, we had a parent that was calling both me and Pastor Dave back and forth. My kid's doing this. My kid's doing that. Didn't like what I said, call Pastor Day. My kid's doing this, my kid's doing that. He gave him verbatim, so call me back. So they're basically playing ping pong, and then we just finally called each other and said, look, let's just go over there, right, and just talk to the, the, the kid. He's 18 years old. 
And so I remember going over there, and I remember we prayed, and we're like, okay, look, he's 18 years old. This, this can't be that difficult, right? He, it's, it's you get out. Like, you don't follow the rules, you leave, you get out. It was way worse than what we thought. So we went in there, and as soon as we got in, the mom greeted us and said, wait, you guys got to be quiet, be quiet. So I'm thinking I'm listening for something, maybe. Like, am I supposed to hear something? She's like, he's sleeping. If I wake him up, he's going to get mad and throw a tantrum. <laughs> Hello, right? <laughs> We're here. We are, we've arrived. We're here, right? So we go in there. We open the door. I went to that kid's room. It looked like a strip mall food court. He had Sharkies, Burger King, Outback Steakhouse, all over. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at mom like, look, what did you do? You created a monster. What is this? So me and Pastor Day go in there. Wake up. Hey, check it out, kids. Time to wake up, bro. It's, it's midday. You're sleeping still. Get up. He's like, who are you guys? You're barging in my room. What, what is wrong with you guys? You're being forceful. And we didn't raise our voices at all. He's like, you guys are being forceful. I remember Pastor Dane said, hey, bro, looks like you're the one being forceful. Your mom can't even cook because she makes too much noise. You yell at her. I think you're the one who's being forceful. Next thing I know, sheriff department's there. He called the cops on us. <laughs> I kid you not. You can't make this stuff up, right? So he had his phone in his pocket, and while he was talking to us, he had like an a, like a emergency button, and he called the cops on us. So they arrived like, hey, like, we got a call from him that you guys were disturbing him, and he, he felt threatened by you guys. And one says, I understand me and Pastor Day come in a room. I get it. But we were kind, and we were gracious. And so I came out of the room, and I, I, I sat down with the mother. I said, look, um, so here's the thing, right? He's an adult, okay? He's not abiding by your rules, but here's the thing. How is he able to call sheriff department on us? Why does he even have a phone if this is how he's conducting himself, right? She said, well, no, I have to have, let him have a phone. I said, look, here's the bottom line. Two ways to parent. You guys ready? Train or be trained. Train or be trained. That young man had trained his parent, his mom, that if you don't do what I say, I'm going to wear you out with a tantrum. That's how kids operate. That's how they operate. And if you don't do what they say, then they're just gonna completely throw a tantrum. You know what I say? Throw a tantrum then. That's a guaranteed way not to get what you want. Guaranteed. And I'm patient and I'll wait, right? And what you'll learn from me is that I'm not having it. There's my training. We're not doing that. Loving your kid is disciplining them and letting them know I'm the authority in the house. You are not, right? My authority comes from God, not from you. And as for me in my house, we're gonna honor the Lord. And so I let this mother know. I said, first and foremost, here's what you have to do. Take the phone. Sorry, youth. Take the phone. Why does he have a phone? And she looked at me as if I delivered news of her kid having a terminal illness. She said, I can't do it. And I said, okay, continue to live like this then. But these are the type of things that we come across. True love disciplines, saints. True love disciplines. And so you're either going to train your children or they're going to train you right? Those are your decisions. Those are the choices you have to make, but do it in love and do it in grace and always tie it to what the word of God says. Amen. Amen. I'm at the beeline through these verses, but God is good. Amen. <laughs> so verse 12, the Bible has much to say about godly discipline, of course. And Job 5:17 says, behold, happy is the man who God corrects. Therefore do not despise the chasing of the almighty. And then he talks about God corrects us because he loves us right? The correction comes from a heart of love. I love what a Bible teacher Warren Worsby said. It brings great comfort. Sometimes he chastens us because we have rebelled and need to repent. Other times he chastens us to keep us from sinning and to prepare us for his special blessing. No matter the experience, no matter how much the experience hurts us, it will never harm us because God always chastens in love. Amen? So no matter how it makes us feel, it will never be for our bad, but always for our good. That's why you can embrace godly discipline. Amen? All right, we're gonna be like through these. So fifth point, true happiness is found in a right relationship with Jesus. Verses 13 to 20, amen? Your Bibles. Sorry, my Bible flipped again. There we go. 13 to 20. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the one, the man who gains understanding. Verse 14. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver and her grain 
and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Length of days in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to all who take hold of her, and happy are all who retain her. Amen. That was good stuff. And so in this, in this proverb, Solomon personifies wisdom as a woman. It's really not a woman. That's just the Hebrew parallelism that he uses as a personification. We know from the New Testament that wisdom is Jesus, that he is wisdom personified. And so we're just going to put Jesus right there. Happy is the one who finds Jesus, right? And the one who gains understanding of the Lord. Solomon does another transition. And now into the peel, what we call lady wisdom, which I said is Jesus. This phrase happy, it means how blessed. Oh, how blessed. And oh, how blessed are we when we walk upright with the Lord. This key happiness, right? Who wants to be happy? All of us, right? We all want to be happy. Parenting a lot of times is I want my kids to be happy. And I always like to redirect parents. Well, hold on. Kids don't understand. They don't get it what true happiness is. They need you to help them. So I always encourage parents, no, you want your kids to be holy. And if they're holy, they'll be happy. Amen? Because all throughout scripture, we see the biblical prescription of holiness before happiness. Is that when you're holy and you walk upright with the Lord, happiness always follows, right? Uh, A scripture, King David, for your note takers, Psalm 32, one and two. Oh, blessed, which means, oh, how happy, is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man who the Lord will not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. Saints, this describes the heavenly bliss stemming from being right with God through Jesus Christ. It depicts the human condition of well-being that comes with God's blessing or as a divine reward for righteousness. The prescription is there. Our true happiness is found in a right relationship with the Lord. When he talks about more precious than rubies, all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Remember back then gold was a hot commodity. Silver was a hot commodity. If you had all that, you were considered rich and wealthy. Solomon's instructing his son, don't let you you be lured away from earthly, earthly riches. These were signs of wealth and prosperity. Verse 15 tells us he's more precious than any earthly prize. I love that description. And then I think about, have you guys heard of uh, C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, right? Well, I love there's an insert in there where screw tape is the senior devil and Wormwood, his junior devil, he reports in Wormwood's assignment is to get this, 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 this human being through the maze of life without becoming a Christian and lead him right down to the path of hell. And so Screwtape writes his junior detective some letters on you know, how he can do this. And, and when he does it, there was one specifically dealing with the question of pleasure. And so Screwtape highlights, he says, look, the beneficial tool, there's a beneficial tool in using pleasure to lure people away from God. But there's a problematic tool because pleasure is actually created by God, right? And so here's what Screwtape tells him. He says, essentially, to his junior detective, he says, essentially, all we can do is distort pleasure. The formula of hell is simple. Offer an ever-increasing craving for an ever-decreasing pleasure. The supreme goal is to get man's soul for next to nothing. As Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Isn't that powerful? And when I think about that, Satan always offers legitimate needs in illegitimate ways, such as pornography. Oh, you're, your body desires that you need it? You can get a preview right here, right now. You could do that. He's offered him an ever-decreasing desire and a pleasure for that. That's not a fair exchange. Don't be duped by the schemes of the enemy. See, oftentimes, saints, if Satan can't get you from the outside as a roaring lion, he'll come from the inside as a deceiving snake. And you have to be careful. You need to watch what you watch, hear, listen to, 
and what your kids are watching and listening to. If they're cooped up in the room on their electronics all day, what do you think the enemy, the deceiving snake, is getting them to on the internet? Something to think about, huh? Help your parents out, kids are gonna hate me. In our house, you can't have phones unless they're in an open square, right? Not in the rooms, we don't allow it. Go to sleep, in the kitchen counter, plugged on. Don't sleep with phones in the bed, right? We don't have any TVs in the room either. Rooms are for sleeping and other things, not for watching TV, right? These are just key components of safeguarding your home from the deceiving snake from the inside, right? Back when I was growing up, people, they hid. You had to go into the, the liquor store to get those things, right? Now, they don't crept into the home like a deceiving snake right here on this thing, right here, right? Saints, there's nothing the devil can offer you that's better than Jesus, nothing. And you will never be satisfied other than the one by the one who created us. This is what Solomon is saying. All the riches, everything that you get, any type of accolade that you may accomplish in this life will never deliver the satisfaction of walking upright with the Lord. That's what he's saying. Amen? So true happiness is only found in a right relationship with Jesus. And I'm not going to finish, but I'll read it anyway, right? Amen. So verse 20, verse 19, it says this, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down by the dew. This talks about the wisdom God used to create the universe. It was not evolution, right? We know that time, space, and matter was correlative, came into existence at the same time. I like to say, I do believe in the Big Bang. I just know who banged it, right? God said, let there be light, and there it was, and that's what we have in there, and we don't go by anything else. Verse 21, my son, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Then you will walk safely in your way, and your foot will not stumble. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down, and your sleep will be sweet. And we see that phrase in your outline, uh, six, obedience to God's word provides safety and protection to our relationship. Anxiety, worry, and all those things, when you walk upright with the Lord, he takes those away. He says, you can openly come and lay it at his feet, right? He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and you will find rest for your souls. That's what we get from with the Lord. And when we walk in obedience to him, we have the peace that comes from him and safety as well. Point number seven, do as others as you would have done unto you. What? Are you kidding me? No, I am not. All right, verse 25. Do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence and he will keep your foot from being caught. 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in the power of your hand to do so. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come back, and tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Do not devise evil against your neighbor, for he dwells by you for safety's sake. Verse 30, do not strive with man without cause if he has done you no harm. 31, do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. 33, the curse of the Lord is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the just. 34, surely he scorns the scornful, but gives grace to the humble. The wise shall inherit glory, but the shame of the, but shame shall be the legacy of fools. Saints, believe it or not, God cares how you treat people. And I love in the scripture on the outline, Matthew 25, he says, whatever you've done to the least of them, you've done unto me. The golden rule, do as unto others as you would have done unto you. If you really look at how Solomon lays this out, this is all because of the individual trusting in the Lord with all their heart. All these things will be a natural flow from the individual who walks upright with the Lord. Amen. The worship team to come on up. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do truly thank you for your word that makes us wise into salvation. We thank you, Lord, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we pray, Lord, that you give us your wisdom. Your word says if anyone lacks wisdom, they can ask, and you will give it to us liberally without reproach for those who ask in faith. And Lord, I pray for everyone here under the sound of my voice that we would seek ye first your kingdom and your righteousness. 
that all things may be added unto us, Lord. We love you. We can't wait till we're worshiping you in heaven, where we're ruling as kings and queens in your kingdom, Lord. We can't wait till that day when we see you face to face and you give us a drink from the river of your pleasures that your right hand gives us, Lord. We can't wait for that day. But until then, Lord, we want to obey you. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And the saints said, amen. Let's worship. Amen.